online audience. It's always a blessing having you worship with us. And I want to give a special shout out to Lorna Dixon, who just had surgery, and she said, Pastor, I'm looking forward to being online with my church family tomorrow morning. So welcome, Lorna. We're keeping you in our prayers, and we're trusting the Lord for your very speedy, speedy recovery. Before I preach this morning, I came across this uh, quote by Dr. Ray Pritchard. It's one of my favorites, and you'll understand why as I read it to you. When we preach, miracles happen. The first miracle is that people came to hear us. The second miracle is that we have something to say. The third miracle is that we proclaim God's word to those who listen. The fourth miracle is that God's word through us changes lives. Aren't you thankful for that? It's a living word. And when it enters into us, it changes us. And the fifth miracle is that we get to be a part of it. What a blessing. We thank God for the miracle of his word and the privilege that we have as an earthen vessel to share the word of God this morning. Well, we are drawing uh, close to the conclusion of our study of the Beatitudes as we've been dealing on the subject of the upside down kingdom and we will be here probably for several more weeks because while we began with the Beatitudes which Jesus introduced the Sermon on the Mount with, those verses continue into the rest of the sermon that is through the duration of Matthew chapter 5 into chapter 6 and chapter 7. We talked last week about radical red letter living. If there's ever a time we need to give attention to the red letters of God's word, it's now. They are out of the mouth of the Son of God, and they are the mandates by which we must live our lives. You know, if we choose to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we don't have a choice as to how we live our lives. We need to live according to how he commanded us to live. And he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if we love him, his commandments are not grievous. Amen? When you love someone, you delight in pleasing them. And our hearts as kingdom Christians is to please our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For after all, he gave his all for you and for me, did he not? And in return, as the old hymn says, love so amazing, so divine, demands, it demands my soul, my life, and my all. And so today we come to Beatitude number seven, where Jesus once again pronounces blessedness. Are you a person that wants to be blessed? I know I am. But there's a path to blessing. And that path to blessing is to achieve what Jesus outlines in these Beatitudes. And he says, those who achieve these levels in me will be blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? That word means to be happy, not 
hysterical laughter, but this deep-seated contentment and joy that only comes as we walk in obedience to Jesus. The blessed ones are the joyful, the satisfied. They are the ones who are the enviable. Do people look at you and say, I wish I could live like Mary or Jane or Sally or Dick or Harry? I wish that I could live a life just like they live. You know how that happens? When we live the life that Jesus called us to live. We become spiritually prosperous and we have the favor of God upon our lives. How many of us want the favor of God? Amen. But in the Sermon on the Mount, we learn that we get the favor of God when we deny ourselves and say, I'm no longer going to choose the life that I want to live, but now I'm going to choose the life that Jesus called me to live. And you know what that life is? Take up your cross and follow me. The cross calls us to die to ourselves, to die to what we think, to die to what we feel, to die to what we want, and to live the life that he calls us to live. And part of that life we find in Matthew 5, verse 9, which is our text this morning, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Holy Spirit, we ask you now to take this living word, this living seed, and to plant it in our hearts that it might bring forth fruit that is a reflection of the character of our God, a reflection of the Jesus to whom we give our allegiance. So touch these lips of clay, touch every ear that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. And we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, the obvious key word in this beatitude is, is peace. Hello? Are you awake? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I don't know about you, but when I hear that word peace, while living in a world filled with chaos and confusion and frustration and angst, just hearing that word speaks solace to my heart. It somehow conveys a, tranquil, a trans, tranquility and a calm. And that word peace takes on a real rich meaning when we consider that the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a Godhead of peace. The scripture teaches us God is the God of peace. And you read that over and over again in God's word. Jesus was prophesied by Isaiah to be the Prince of Peace and the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of Peace. And how is he pictured? As a dove, the very symbol of peace. And so if 
God is all of that, then it would follow naturally, would it not, that the word of God would be also dominated by this theme of peace. And indeed it is. Peace is a really big deal in God's word. And especially as we see the peace that Jesus came to bring as we are now reconciled back to God. In the new covenant, we read about peace in every one of the 27 chapters of the New Testament. It's mentioned 88 times and it's prominent throughout every book of the New Testament. Peace were the earmarks of the ministry of Jesus from the very beginning. The angels announced his birth and said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Oh, how this earth needs peace. And they will only know that peace when they come to know the Prince of Peace. And how did the ministry of Jesus end? As he ascended to heaven, he left this loving benediction with his disciples. And he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. I have no doubt in my mind that perhaps many of us are sitting in this church this morning without the peace of God ruling and reigning in your hearts. But I want us to know that Jesus is that Prince of Peace. And as we open up our hearts to him, as we commit our way in him, as we choose not to be anxious, but in everything by prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, we make our request known unto God, the peace of God that passes all understanding. We'll mount guard over our hearts and minds. We'll garrison our hearts and minds. We'll be the umpire that calls the shots in our lives so that in the midst of confusion, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of trial and tribulation, we could still have the peace of God in our lives. You know, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament epistles, he opened every one of his letters with the same greeting, grace and peace. And uh, that's the duet that you cannot change the order of. Because the peace that you and I have with God comes because of the grace of Jesus Christ. It is his unmerited favor. When did he give us that, that grace? In that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. I'm so thankful that the word of God says that God commended his love toward us while we were still sinners. We didn't love him. Our hearts were not uh, postured toward him. God, I, I choose to live a life of righteousness. and No, 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 no. We were at enmity with God. But God says, I love you, 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 and you. Every one of us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we could have peace with God. He freely lavished it on us. And we see as we look in the word of God that the theme of peace and reality 
charts the entire course of history. Because in the beginning, there was peace in the Garden of Eden. Can you even imagine what it was like to live without sin? Because every problem that we have, every trouble that we encounter is the result of sin. Sometimes people get really troubled. Well, why is God allowing that? Why did God do, blame everything on God? And if God were to answer us, answer us, he'd turn around and say, well, look at your great, great, great grandparents. And you were in them when they sinned. You know, we want to blame Adam and Eve. But if we were Adam and Eve, we would have done the same thing. I know maybe that's theology that's hard for us to swallow because we like blaming someone else for the problems that we have. The problems that we have is the sin nature with which we were born. But I'm so thankful that Jesus did not leave us in a sinful estate that was hostile toward God, that was at enmity with God, that we were far from God. We lived in a kingdom of darkness and his is a kingdom of light and holiness and purity and truth. But Jesus on the cross, he reconciled us back to God. And isn't that what the scripture says in Colossians 1 and 20? Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by how? Making peace through the blood of his cross. There's a great big price that Jesus had to pay. He shed his blood. He was nailed to that cross, not for any sin that he had committed, but for our sin. And so even though today we're living in such a world of uh, confusion and just fear and angst and doubt and everything that is of evil, yet in the midst of it all, we can have peace in our hearts and we have the hope, the glorious hope, that peace one day will be restored to this earth. When the Prince of Peace comes and he establishes his kingdom and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and he will reign forever and ever. And how will he reign? He will reign in righteousness. He will reign in peace and he will reign in truth. What a day that is going to be. And that's the glorious hope that you and I have as believers. Well, nevertheless, in this between time, because of sin, as I just mentioned, the world in which we live is anything but peaceful. In fact, it's the antithesis of peace. You just turn on the news for a minute and you just get upset because you see what a mess our world is in. There's hostility, there's unrest, there's aggression, there's antagonism. And why is it? Because people don't know the Prince of Peace. There's no peace in their hearts. And the Bible says that in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear. Perfect love casts out all fear and the peace of God rules and reigns in the hearts of his children. But those who do not know God, their hearts are paralyzed by fear. And through that fear, all of these bad behaviors result. But God says, it's still my desire that my kingdom comes 
to this earth. And see, the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish on the earth began when he came to this earth and it is progressively becoming until it is fully consummated at his second coming when all unrighteousness is put down, when all evil is judged, and when he rules and reigns as king of kings and lord of lords forever. But in the meantime, that's why he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. Are we as believers? See, if we would pray more for the kingdom to come, I believe we'd see more peace in this world. It's often be said, the problem with America is not in the White House. The problem with America is in the church house. The church house isn't doing what we're called to do, to be a house of prayer and to pray and to seek the face of God. Jesus, your kingdom come. You know, in the original, I know we're going to get to this when we get to chapter 6. But we, we pray that kind of in a passive way, thy kingdom come. But in the original, it's really in the active. It's come, kingdom of God. Be done, will of God. We're not going to just sit back and allow all this evil to take over. We're praying, God, come, kingdom of God. Jesus, come into the White House. Come into our government. Come into our schools. Come into the marketplace. Come into media. Come into entertainment. Let your kingdom come. And as the kingdom of God comes, then righteousness comes and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So Jesus says, I want you to be partnering with me in bringing peace to the earth. So what is a peacemaker? If I were to offer a definition this morning, I would say a peacemaker is someone who actively seeks to reconcile people to God and to one another. That's the heart of God. That's why he sent Jesus, so that we could be brought back into his family. But it's not good enough for just you and I to be brought back into his family. He wants to see us brought back to one another. And the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, that high priestly prayer of intercession before he went to the cross, was that his church would be one. Enough of this. Well, you belong to that denomination and I belong to this denomination and never the twain shall meet. I want to say this morning, if you are born of the Spirit, if you are washed in the blood, then you are my brother, you are my sister. We belong to the same body of Jesus Christ and we will be in heaven together for all eternity. We've believed the lie of the enemy. Well, if you don't believe in this, then sorry, I, I can't have fellowship with you. Those things are non-essentials. As long as we have the essentials intact, the essentials concerning Jesus and his work and how we receive him and believe in him and believe that every word in this book is the inspired word of God. You can't pick and choose what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe because heaven and earth will pass away. But this word will never ever pass away then we belong to that same body and God calls us to become ambassadors of peace. 
Now, to be an ambassador of peace, what does that mean? Well, let's first say what it doesn't mean. It means that we will not be peace breakers. You say, oh, there are peace breakers out in the world. Well, I have a newsflash for you. I've been a pastor a long time, and I've been in the church ever since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, and I've seen a lot of peace breakers in the house of God. And that's tragic because that's everything that is contradictory to the word of God. Peace breakers. Demetrius is spoken of in uh, John's epistle. He loves to have the preeminence and that's often where the problem is. If people feel like they don't have the preeminence, if they're not given a position, if they can't do what they want to do, then they're just going to disrupt and they'll start backbiting and whispering and gossiping and expressing how displeased they are because this isn't going the way that I want it to go. That's not being a peacemaker. That's being a peace breaker. Peace breakers are disposed uh, in their nature to being contrarians. If you zig, they want to zag. You know people like that? I think we all do. They go out of their way to disrupt. They're troublemakers. They love to stir up division and strife. If there's no reason to fight, they will manufacture a reason. And they're always on the attack. Their goal is to win. They need to be in control. I've got to have it my way. And so they're going to use any weapon they can find to ensure that they do win. They will point their fingers. They will accuse. They will slander whatever it takes. Sadly, they care more about being right than having a relationship that stays right. You know, in life, sometimes we need to pick our battles because some battles just are not worth winning. To lose out in a relationship. How many marriages end in divorce? Because no one was willing to surrender and say, this is not a battle that's worth our fighting. Let's make peace with one another. You know, the Bible has an awful lot to say about the peace breakers. And there's some stern warnings in the word of God about them. Romans 16, I'm thinking of where the Apostle Paul writes and says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings that you have learned. Keep away from them. Why? For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. It's all about them. It's not about Jesus and him having the preeminence because if Jesus has the preeminence, then this flesh dies. If Jesus has the preeminence, we don't get it our way. We do it his way. And guess what the enemy often uses and it's so subtle? It's our tongue. And, and it's no surprise because listen to what James says. The tongue is also a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Now, this is the most astounding part of this verse. And is itself set on fire by hell. Now, these mouths, these tongues that just offered praise to God in this sanctuary 
I don't know about you, but it startles me and sobers me to think that this same tongue could also be a tongue that has been ignited by the fires of the devil's hell. James says that salt water, brackish water, and sweet water cannot come out of the same fountain. And these things ought not so to be. And yet in our lives, we have to confess that there have been times it's because we've not crucified ourselves and our flesh wanted to have its way. And when the flesh has its way, the mouth will rattle off anything. God help us. Because we forget what the word of God says, that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And as believers, as peacemakers, are we allowing our tongues to be peace breakers because instead of producing life we are producing death if our words are not bringing edification if our er words are not engendering harmony and peace and unity then what are they doing the very opposite i want us to be reminded that the bible tells us in psalm 133 that it is good and pleasant when God's people live together in peace. Why? For it is there. Where? When God's people dwell together in peace, there the Lord commands the blessing. I know we think often about, okay, let's be sure that High Street Worship Center is a church that is in unity and harmony, and I thank God that as far as this pastor's perspective, this is a beautiful church family. We're in harmony. We're in unity. There, is no fa there are no factions and schisms, and uh, I, I, not that I'm aware of, and I always pray, Lord, reveal what is hidden in darkness. Expose it. Expose it because we don't want anything hindering the move of God. And nothing will do it better and faster when there is this undercurrent of unrest and disunity and schism that a tongue that has been lit by the fires of hell that are creating problems. But it also goes for our homes. If your marriage is in disunity, God can't command a blessing. You might wonder, why is everything going crosswise in, in our house Maybe God's saying you need to get into unity. You need to get into heart. Are you praying with one another? Is your home an altar of prayer where Jesus has the preeminence, where he is the head of the home and uh, the husband is not the boss? The husband lays his life down in love for his wife and when his wife sees the kind of love, the selfless love that he has for her, she willingly submits to his spiritual leadership as the head of the home. It's in that place that God commands the blessing. You know, the New Testament places a lot of focus on this issue and on the fact that you and I have personal responsibility in engendering peace in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. How is it going to happen in the world? It needs to start somewhere. It needs to start with each and every one of us. Paul admonished the Ephesian Christian, Christians in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, with diligence, preserve 
the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. With diligence. You know diligence that speaks to me of? It speaks to me of effort, initiative. I, I just can't say, well, I'm just going to sit back and see this happen. No. Make every effort. Jesus said we are to be peacemakers, if we're to have peace in our homes, if we're to have peace in our marriages, if we're going to have peace in our neighborhoods, it doesn't just happen. We need to make it. We need to put forth the effort. We need to say, God, let my mind, let my heart be in alignment with your mind and your heart. You are the Prince of Peace. Lead me in paths of righteousness, which are paths of peace. To the Romans, he wrote, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. How many times have we broken off relationships because we just didn't want to put in the effort? Oh, I know she offended me and I offended her, but neither of us are going to be humble enough to say, I'm sorry, let's live together in harmony and unity and peace. If it is possible, and I dare say 99% of the time, it is possible, but we're just not willing to put forth that initiative and that energy. And again, Paul writes in Romans chapter 14, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual satisfaction. Mutual edification. See, kingdom Christians are not peace breakers. But we must also be aware that there's a big chance that while we are not peace breakers, we can also be peace fakers. Now, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? Faking peace. True peace, you will come to learn if you've lived long enough in life only comes through confrontation. Uh, once in the corporate world, I, I was tasked to teach a course on confrontation, and I called it carefrontation. Because if you really care about peace, then you will care enough to confront so that peace can be made. Conflict is resolved through confrontation. Peace fakers want to avoid confrontation. Their goal is to escape confrontation because that's uncomfortable. And I will confess that I have a nature that tends to want to be that way, but I've come to understand that if I'm to be a kingdom Christian and if I'm to be a peacemaker, that there are times in my life that issues need to be confronted so that there can be peace. The peace faker ignores and denies and runs away from conflict. And their whole mindset and their whole attitude is, problem? What problem? I'm fine. Don't bring it up. You know, I don't want any trouble. Let's just live in peace. And how many holiday family dinners are had because of people who have that attitude. We just need to live in peace. 
when we know that there may be issues that need to be addressed in a godly way so that you don't have to walk around on pins and needles all the time and think that I dare say or do any little thing. If I even look the wrong way, there's going to be offense. God didn't call us to live that kind of way. We need to know peace at any price is a deception. And it's contrary, actually, to live out this beatitude. And I know I've been talking all along now about how we're to be contributors of peace and to be peacemakers, but we can't be peace fakers because there comes a time in every life and more than one time because as long as we live, there's always going to be conflict. But if there's a conflict that is not honoring God, if there's a conflict that has brought a separation between you and someone else, which likely means brought also a separation between you and God. Because sometimes when we refuse to forgive, I think we forget some of the red letters in the word of God, where Jesus said, if you refuse to forgive, my heavenly Father will also not forgive you your trespasses. See, we need to understand and live by this axiom, peacekeeping, if we're just peacekeepers, that's going to lead to a false peace. But if we're peacemakers, that will lead to a true peace. Jesus is our example. Because even though he's called the Prince of Peace, when he came to this earth, what did he say? He laid it out clearly in Matthew 10. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to this earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, I know that sounds very contradictory. We'll explain it in a moment. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now listen to what Jesus says. For whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus says, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword that divides and that division will cut through the dearest of your relationships. Because if they don't want to love God, they don't want to serve God, they don't want to live righteous, holy lives, but you do, you need to make a decision. How can you live in peace? For the word of God says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? That's why God's word says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Sometimes we think, well, I just love this person, and, and I, as a Christian, I, I'm going to lead them to Jesus. Jesus didn't call you to do that. And sometimes people will tell you, yeah, I'll follow your Jesus. And then after you're married, they go their own way. And you're living in a life and in a house where there's a divided allegiance. You're going one way and they are going the other way. See, peacemakers courageously stand for the truth, no matter what the cost. Because the truth is always on the side of what is right in the eyes of God. 
Do we understand Romans 14 and verse 17? The kingdom of God is not meat or drink. Sometimes as Christians, we get all hung up on the externals. Most of you in this church are not as old as I am. But I grew up in a church where it was all about the externals. It's all about how you looked. It's all about what you ate, what you didn't eat, what you drank, what you didn't drink. Now, I don't want to get off on a tangent here because that can go in many different places. And I'm, I'm not advocating anything that is sinful, anything that is indulgent, because that's against the Spirit of God. Moderation in all things. And if there's anything that you are convicted of that is wrong, then for you it is wrong. It is not for you to judge someone who has no conviction about that because that is between them and God. If God's word is not clear on certain things, then that's between them and God. And Paul challenges the Romans, who do you think you are judging someone else? To their own master, they will stand or fall, and stand they will. If their heart is right, if their conscience is clear, they will stand. You know, I've known Christians who say, for me, chocolate's a sin. Well, my goodness gracious. Should I live according to them and cheat myself or my wife of having chocolate? I mean, that's nectar of the gods. Who wants to refuse themselves of chocolate? So I did get off on a tangent. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of how long you wear your hair or how much makeup or how not much makeup or jewelry you wear. But it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. But do you notice the order here? The kingdom is first of all righteousness. You can't have peace until you first have righteousness. And you can't then have joy unless you have peace. How can you be joyful if your heart is frustrated and miserable and you have a divided allegiance, a divided heart. You're going this way, you're going that way. You're thinking this thought, you're thinking that thought. God is saying only a heart that is holy after me. That's the kingdom of God. It's righteousness. We have the order in reverse. Everyone wants the joy. But that joy can't come until there's peace. And peace can't come until there's righteousness. James 3.17 confirms this truth. But the wisdom that is from above is first, what? Pure. What's pure? It's righteous. It's holy. It's truthful in the sight of God. Then it is peaceable. Some of us are after the peace. We want to be peacekeepers. Jesus said, you're not called to be a peacekeeper. You're called to be a peacemaker because a peacekeeper will compromise truth and righteousness. God calls us to live an uncompromised life and peace can never be sought at the expense of righteousness. Peacemakers are those who are uncompromised in their commitment to the truth. I'm reminded of the story of Micaiah in the Old Testament. Do you remember that story? I love this story. Because most of us don't have the courage of Micaiah. King Ahab 
wanted to go into battle against the Assyrians and he said, I, I don't think I could do this alone, so I want to call up the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and say, Jehoshaphat, please join me. You know, after all, we're brothers, we're part of Israel. Even though it was a divided kingdom at that time, they, they recognized they were all the children of Abraham and, you know, somehow when it came, push came to shove, let's, let's work together here. And Jehoshaphat said, sure, I, I will, I'll go into battle with you. And so they sat while Jehoshaphat was willing to go into battle, but he first wanted to hear a word from God. That's always a smart thing to do. Before you make decisions, God, is this your will? Is this the path of your choosing? And so he and King Ahab sat on their thrones before 400 prophets. That's a lot of people. Couldn't even fit them all in this church. 400. And guess what? Every single one of them said, go and the Lord will make you victorious. But Jehoshaphat, because he was a man after God's own heart, he felt an uneasiness and he said to King Ahab, isn't there another prophet that we can inquire of? And King Ahab was trying to dodge the bullet, but he realized that he was confronted and he said, actually, there is, his name is Micaiah, but I, I hate him because he never has anything good to say. He always brings a word of the Lord that brings condemnation and judgment to me. But they said, nevertheless, let's call him and see what he has to say. And so when uh, the servants went to call Micaiah, they said, all 400 prophets are all saying the same thing. You better go along with what they say or you're going to be in big trouble. And what did he say? He said, I can only say and speak what the Lord tells me to say. And he did. And he had to pay a price. He was thrown into jail. But the word of the Lord that he gave came exactly true. And there have come times in our life that as believers, as peacemakers, not peacekeepers, that we too will have to pay a price. You know, the path that secured our peace for Jesus, it meant the cross. And also, for you and I as his disciples, it may also mean the cross for us. Because sometimes people will reject us. But are we going to be faithful to the word of God? Are we going to speak the truth in love? You know, that's the important part. Sometimes we think that we're so committed to the truth that we feel justified and in righteous anger, I'm going to set that person right. Somebody needs to tell them the truth. I'll tell them the truth. My Bible tells me Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Sometimes we're full of truth, but we have no grace and our message doesn't come across with the heart of God. Ephesians 4.15 tells us clearly, instead we will speak the truth in love. As believers, when we do that, we will grow in every way more and more like Christ. Isn't that our goal as Christians? 
or are we on our high horse thinking that we're standing for righteousness and truth? Nobody else wants to confront. I'll confront. You may be right about the truth, but if it's not done in love, you're going to fail what God called you to do. Oswald Chambers had this to say about the impact of the Beatitudes in our life. When we first read the Beatitudes, they seem like just some beautiful precepts, but soon we find, however, that they contain the dynamite of the Holy Ghost. They explode when the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance one of the Beatitudes, and we have to decide whether we will accept the tremendous spiritual upheaval that may be produced if we choose to obey his words. When we began this series on the Beatitudes, I said Jesus is laying out for us a ladder. You can't get to the second rung until you begin at the bottom. And we recall that the first rung of that ladder was being poor in spirit. Humbling ourselves before God, acknowledging that we are bankrupt. There is nothing in us that can commend us to God. No matter how good we think we are, broken. And then we mourn. Yeah, we become a crybaby, not to others, but before the throne of grace. And acknowledging that, God, I come before you with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I come to you in a deep, deep repentance for all the ways I dishonored you, all the ways I grieved you, all the ways that I chose to go my own way instead of pleasing you. When we're poor in spirit, when we mourn, that will work in us a meekness that is not weakness, but is strength of character, that there are times when we have every right to open our mouths, but we'll keep our mouths shut, because like Jesus, we're going to live a life that is meek and lowly, and as we live this life that is meek and lowly, and we learn of Jesus, we hunger more and more for him and his righteousness. And as we hunger for more and more of him, and as we allow the Spirit of God to conform us to the image of Christ, we become like Jesus, merciful and pure in heart. And it's only as we keep climbing that ladder that we finally come to this one where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now we're eligible to be peacemakers because we've developed the character of Christ in us. And this is not a once done for all of time. It's a continuous growing into Christ. It's a continuous crucifying of our flesh. It's a continuous laying down of our lives so that we could be like Jesus and not just keep the peace, but make the peace as we speak the truth in love, as in love we entreat one another, as we reason with one another, as we honor God in the way 
we fight. <laughs> because the reality is, if we're really going to be children of the kingdom, it's not going to be a fight. It's going to be a reasoning. God help marriages that all they do is fight instead of reasoning together. But that requires speaking the truth in love. And if we're going to be disciples who are peacemakers and not peacekeepers, quickly, I just want to share these as statements because I don't want to take time to discuss them. But these are keys to making us successful in peacemaking. I think some of us need to first of all look back onto our family of origin. Maybe you came from a family that was a family of peacekeepers. Everything was swept under the carpet. Issues were never addressed or resolved. And so now we become the product of how we were raised. How many of us know that when we come to Christ, he wants to change our DNA? <laughs> And we, we like to blame it all. Well, that, that's how I grew up. I'm sorry. No, when we come to Christ, he changes us. Secondly, we need to recognize that conflict is a normal reality of life. None of us live in a bubble. None of us live in a place where we will never, ever have conflict. We're going to have it in our homes. We're going to have it in our workplaces. We're going to have it in our neighborhoods. We're going to have it in our discourse and dialogue with our friends especially if you get on to certain topics which are better not to be addressed because they're just going to create a firestorm. But if you think you're never going to have conflict, you're mistaken. But here's the real key. If we want to be peacemakers and not peacekeepers, we need to live a life that is devoted to prayerful reflection. See, we always see things through these eyes. Instead of at that moment of conflict, that moment of frustration, that moment of anger, that moment that triggers us because of maybe something that happened in our childhood, can we stop and say, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, show me what are you saying in this situation? How are you seeing this? We will be successful in being peacemakers if we will have the courage to speak up and to speak the truth in love. But with that courage, also have the humility to listen. You know, we're all, we're all in the same, but I'm cut from the same. You think, well, I'm the pastor, I'm never in conflict. Do you think Kathy and I never have an argument? You know, when God puts two people together, he puts opposites. I always share this. Francis Frangipan said, he gave me a wife so that he could kill me But that's a beautiful reality because as Christians, isn't that our desire, to die to ourselves? Because unless we die to ourselves, Jesus can never be manifest. And so God uses us in our marriages as iron sharpens iron. We think that's only men sharpening men. That's in any relationship. Iron is sharpening iron in our marriages, in our families in our church family. But it takes humility to listen. Because we want to get our point across. We want the other to see what I have to say and how I feel. Well, you'll get your chance, but let me have my chance. 
May God help us today become instruments of peace because he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. I love this. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, you will be such a reflection of your father. That is a term and a title of such dignity and honor. You know, some kids are really proud of who their dads are. That's my dad. You know, and if their dad is someone that has some public notoriety, then they really name drop or a relative. Did you know that so-and-so is my uncle? Did you know that's my cousin? Sons of God. People of God, do we hear? Do we desire that we would be called sons of God, mature adults? God sees us not as little bratty children anymore, but he sees us as his grown-up children who now have a delight and a desire only to please him. That's who he's looking for. Peacemakers. It's costly. It requires humility. It requires sacrifice. It requires maturity. But the word of God says it bears a harvest. A harvest. You know, you put a seed into a ground. It's a tiny little thing you could hardly see. And it produces a harvest. God says when you sow in peace, you're going to produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives and in the lives of others. As we look into our lives today, let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us are there times when we're just peace breakers? Or are there times when we're peace fakers because we're just trying to keep peace instead of make peace? Jesus wants us to be peace makers. St. Francis of Assisi wrote, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. You know, the first part of that verse we're so familiar with, and that kind of goes along with not being a peace breaker. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. But, O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving. Giving of ourselves. Giving ourselves in a laid down life that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And here it is. It is in dying. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. We're going to close this morning with a chorus of consecration. A prayer that asks the Lord to draw us to himself. Draw us close to his side. Draw us into a deeper intimacy and relationship with him that as we dwell in his presence and he lives in our hearts by faith 
we could become just like Jesus. So stand with me as we sing together this morning this closing song. If you wish to come to the altar, the altar is open. After we sing, we will close in prayer.